You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, everybody does it. It varies as to how we do it. But everybody has a little snigger that we express to, uh, to show that we're doubtful about something, that we've got some reservations about something, that we might be a little cynical about something. Uh, it varies from person to person. It's the kind of thing that happens when you get a letter from a, a telephone company or from a bank and they're telling you they're increasing their fees and changing their conditions and they say, this is, uh, this is actually designed to make things better for you. And we go, yeah, right. That's it, the snigger, see? That's, that's one of my sniggers. I've got various types of snigger. That's one of them. Uh, or in that same letter, they'll say, these changes, these increases are actually in response to consumer demand. Yeah, right. I mean, anybody received a letter like that, or is it just me gets those sort of letters, you know? Like, unbelievable. Or a politician before a, an election makes a promise that's so outrageous, and you're like, no, I don't think so. You know, come on. Or a friend says, uh, who's known for their unreliability, says, I'm going to be there on time. You wait, wait and see. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. And you go, yeah, right. Now, you know, it's a natural response. Actually, we're doing it a lot more these days because there's a lot more what's called spin around the place these days. Have you noticed that? There's this new term in the media, spin. I mean, there was a time when spin was a word that it was used exclusively in relation to washing machines uh, or, as somebody reminded us, spin bowling or a little a toy you used to get for kids. Do you still get those toys where you, you pump them up? You know, and they spin tops, you know, spinning tops. Or we used to play a game where you'd blindfold somebody and spin them around and then see what happened. Uh, it was a great game as long as you weren't wearing the blindfold. You know, it was pretty scary if you were doing that. But spin has now taken on a whole new meaning. Today the word is used to describe information. And how, how information can be given in a way that's, that's uh, deceptive, manipulative, uh, even coercive. You know, trying to get people to believe something that may not be entirely true. And so most of us have developed a way of detecting spin and responding to spin. And it's usually with a... Got to be right. Now, it's okay to do that with a letter from a bank or a telephone company, or even a, in response to a politician's promise or a friend. But would anybody, as the people of God, would any of us do that in response to the promises of God? Right. Well, one person did. And she's in our reading, and you heard it just read a moment ago by, by James. Uh, that's, I'm talking Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, she's 90 years old in this reading. 24 years have passed since her and her husband had a miraculous encounter with God where God said that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. He said, your wife Sarah's going to have a baby. You're going to be the father of an incredible nation. The number of citizens will be such that it'll be like comparing them to the grains of sand on the beach. That's how big this nation of Israel is going to be. 24 years ago, but nothing had happened. Nothing in relation to babies. And here she was in this scene, and she's eavesdropping on a conversation between Abraham and three mysterious strangers who've just suddenly rolled up, one of whom turns out to be the Lord himself. And I was saying in the first service, if you're old enough to remember the film The Bible, who saw the Bible? Ooh, 
back in the 70s, trying to get the guy who was a, the, the, the key actor. And it traces this story. And the way those three strangers are portrayed, just faceless men behind these hoods, very, very moving. It's, very, it's, it's an exciting scene. And uh, you might like to check that out on the DVD, the Bible. Fantastic. Now, these mystery men arrive and she overhears the Lord say in verse 10, I will surely return to you in about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah's immediate response is to go, right, I've heard this before. And here it is in verse 12. Look at it. It's fantastic. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure of being a mum? This thing I've looked forward to for so long. But here's the thing I love. God picks up on it. And he asks Abraham, well, why did Sarah laugh? And, uh, and Sarah says, oh, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did. You laughed. It's all right. And, and, and look, yeah, we've got to make a lot of this because like, there's not a lot of humour in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, It's not exactly known you know, for a stand-up routine. So when you're dropping on something like this, it's worth having a little laugh. And it's, it's sort of reminiscent of that school in, of, a, of a scene in primary school you know, where a class member, you know, some unmentionable noise comes from their vicinity and you go, says, you laughed. No, yes, you did, saw you. And this is the guy, a little bit of an interaction here with, uh, with Sarah. Now, friends, here's a woman who's about to embark on a very steep learning curve in her relationship to God, arising out of this incident. And the first life lesson for Sarah, which we can identify with, is this. Here it is. Um, honesty is not the best policy with God. It's the only policy. It is the only policy with God. I mean, it was understandable that Sarah would try to mask, try to conceal her doubts. After all, she was a woman of God. She was the wife of Abraham, the great man of God. I mean, what would people, let alone God, what would they think if, if they knew she had doubts? If they knew she was capable of a little snigger in response to one of God's promises. But what's the outcome? Does God withdraw the promises? Okay, sister, if that's how you feel, I'm going to give this blessing to somebody else. If that's, you're going to be smart about it, we'll, we'll move along. Is that what happens? No. Does he rebuke her for having a little snigger? No. Yes, he does push her for honesty. You did laugh. I saw it. Yeah. But then he restates the promise in verse 14, restates it. As if to say, look, I'll show you. I'm not kidding. You're going to have a baby, girl. Not a baby girl. Oh, you, you are going to have a baby girl. Uh, let's get that right. Uh, friends, uh, look, we serve. Look, where we serve, we're in relationship with a, an all-seeing, all-knowing, you know, all-powerful God. And he wants us to be totally transparent in every area of our lives. There's no need to hide from God. You've got lingering doubts? Tell him about it. You've got areas of uncertainty? Tell him about it. You're frustrated with unanswered prayer? Tell him about it. Like, he's, he's not going to rebuke you. He understands. Here's Sarah, a classic example. Now, here's the second life lesson, and it can be, best be sum, uh, summed up, rather, in a saying that's been around for a while. It's been around for quite a while, this saying. Here it is. God's delays 
are not God's denials. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Now, I ask the question, do I need to even have to unpack this? I mean, it's so self-explanatory. There would, I venture to say there wouldn't be a person here this morning listening to me who hasn't proven the truth of this statement in your own life. I mean, I mean, it's a huge part of our walk with God, our walk of faith. The fact that more often than not, God seems to move at a slower pace than we would like. This seems to be his nature in so many areas. And of course, sometimes we look back, we look back and we say, oh, wow, now I see why my prayer wasn't answered then because I wasn't ready to receive that answer. Or we look back and we see how other factors came into the equation and we think, oh, oh, okay, that, that's changed the whole scene. God, you must have the big picture. Thank you for your sovereignty in, in that way. And of course, sometimes, sometimes we experience what, uh, what Paul experienced. And that was that, uh, you know, God said, well, look, you know, the problem is not going to be removed. But my grace is going to be sufficient for you. You'll get stronger as you press into me. Friends, I guess ultimately... In our journey with God, it's a matter of trust, isn't it? It's a matter of trust that his will is unfolding. And whether prayers are being answered quickly or slowly, it's part of his plan. And if we sort of hang in with him, we're going to get the strength and the courage and the faith to get through. That's the experience I know of so many of you. Well, the next life lesson from Sarah is expressed via a kind of slogan. Uh, which I used at the end of a message earlier this year, or might have, been, might have even been late last year. I originally heard it from Nick Vasuzic. Vasuzic? Nick Vasuzic, whatever. You know, he's the guy who has been on 60 Minutes. Uh, he's been featured in much of the media. He is Australian, lives in America. He is totally limbless. Do we know Nick? You know? No arms. No arms. No legs. Just has a little sort of a... a little sort of a... a part of a foot and a little toe and that's like he, he is an amazing guy great christian uh, inspires people all over the world with his uh, strong message of of faith in jesus christ and so i think the potency of this saying lies in the fact that it's nick vasuzic uh, vasuvic has it nick vasuvic who actually states it against the backdrop of all that's gone wrong for him and here's what nick has said, if you don't receive a miracle, become a miracle. If you don't receive a miracle, become a miracle. Uh, that's just so powerful. Look, I happen to believe Sarah is an amazing personification of this statement. You see, <laughs> there's a sense in which I'm more inspired by what happened to Sarah in the first 90 years of her life than I am by what happened to her at 90. Now, now, does that sound irreverent? I, I, I don't want it to. Because I'm through what happened to her at 90. I mean, you know, being told she's going to have a baby. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. That's a, one of those moments, yeah? It's incredible. Um, she'd, be the, she'd be the only person in history who paid for her paediatrician's fee out of her old age pension. <laughs> Get your head around that. Get your head around that. I mean, it's an amazing Miracle. It's, it's, it's incredible. Look, but look, I'm, I'm thinking about all the years prior to this event, okay? 90 years. 
All the years during which Sarah had to cope with the shame, the stigma, the social ostracism, and the utter despair of being childless. 90 years. You see, friends, today it's a, it's a, it's a terrible tragedy. It's a heart-rending thing when young couples can't conceive. And at any one time, we on the ministry team and the pastoral team, we're, we're helping couples in this church right now through that process. It, it's just heart-rending when, when there's such a, a desire to have children and, and, and nothing's happening. But you see, in the ancient world, where male domination and misogyny, oh, there's that word, that seems to pop up everywhere, misogyny, I, didn't, I, didn't, I came back from France to the, uh, all the references to misogyny. Uh, and it's been interesting kind of get your head around all that. Well, uh, in those days when, when that was the, the dominant feature of the culture, it was always considered to be the woman's fault. Like, no question. It was the woman's fault that conception wasn't taking place. And her inability to conceive brought dishonour to the family because there'd be no heir and because the chances of the couple being looked after in their later years were severely eroded. So it was a big deal. There was a terrible stigma attached to what the Bible often refers to as barrenness. You know. And there is today. There's a big stigma attached to barrenness today in some religions in some part of the world where they haven't progressed from the dark ages yet. And it's still a problem. But through all those years, Sarah's faith in God never wavered. She took on board the taunts, the criticisms, the hurtful remarks, and she never gave up on God. And then in her 60s, when God reveals to her that she's going to become a mum and be the mother of a great nation and she gets all excited, and then nothing happens. Still nothing happens. And if, if they were around today, this would have meant going to endless numbers of specialists, reading every book possible on fertility, listening to friends, giving advice, some of which is helpful, some of which is not. Maybe going to a Benny Hinn rally, you know. So all of that would have been their experience. So where do we find this most gracious, dignified lady at 90? She's still journeying faithfully with God. She's still going about the daily routines of life full of faith and trust. She's still in the presence of God along with her husband. She's still worshipping, praising, believing at 90 after all that's gone on. Now, friends, there's a miracle. That's a miracle. You know, I mean, that's inspiring. If you can't get a miracle, be a miracle. And Sarah was just that, a walking miracle, because she continued on a journey with God despite profound disappointment and heartache. Now, that's the industrial strength faith that we so often talk about here at Northside, which so many of you have. We praise God for that. Okay, here's the final point for today. How we respond to the Sarah moments of life will largely determine the level of stability and endurance in our walk with God. How we respond to the Sarah moments of life. You see, the Sarah mo a Sarah moment 
is when we have to deal with our doubts. A Sarah moment is when we have to deal with unanswered prayer. A Sarah moment is when some unexpected illness comes upon us and despite all the praying in the world, nothing seems to be making a difference. That's a Sarah moment. A Sarah moment can extend over months and years. It involves waiting, longing, hoping. A Sarah moment is when we are faced with the same question that was posed to Sarah. And I wish I'd put this up on the screen, but I didn't. It's in verse 14. Look at this. Here's the verse. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. What's that sniggering? What? What's that I hear? You're going to have a baby. Okay. I saw you laugh. But it's going to happen. <laughs> Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, most upright Christians, and we've got many of them here this morning, strong people in the faith, most Christians have no trouble answering, no, no, of course not, Lord, as it applies to others. No, Lord, there is, there is nothing too hard for you. I believe you can do anything for them, for him, for her. But what about for us? Is there anything too hard for the Lord in response to my prayers, in response to my dreams, my hopes, my aspirations? Now, friends, let me say this. A strong, mature in the faith person should be able to answer passionately and enthusiastically no to that question. No, Lord, there is nothing that is not possible for you. But these same people, and it's pretty much all of us here this morning, or many of us, we have to also answer a question which also requires a no answer. But this no answer is not born out of wild, unbridled passion and enthusiasm. This no answer is born out of pain. This no answer is born out of suffering. This no answer sometimes is born out of uncertainty. But I tell you what, it's born out of reality. Born out of reality. And here's the question Does God take every too hard thing in our lives and automatically, irrefutably, miraculously solve it, rectify it, heal it? Does He do that? Automatically? Well, of course, the answer to that question is well, no, He doesn't. For whatever reason, he doesn't operate like that in every situation. And I'd like to put it to us that that's the tension that we operate in in our Christian lives every day. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Does he take everything that's too hard and solve it and heal it and rectify it? No. We operate between those two extremes throughout our Christian journey. For the first 90 years of her life, Sarah lived in the shadow of question number two. Things weren't happening in that important area of conception for this dear lady. At 90 years of age, 
she started to experience in an incredible way the joy, the exhilaration of basking in the radiance of a yes answer to the first question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, you're going to have a baby. Wow. These questions represent the two extremes we have to manage by faith as we journey with God. Now, friends, of course, we have a huge advantage over Sarah, a huge advantage. Because we are recipients of the love, the grace, the power, the strength of the resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit. She didn't have that. This is 100 years before the time of Jesus. Now, I could bring a stack of scripture verses to bear on this point, these, this whole thing of the two extremes. You get what I'm saying? Our time is gone. I just want to leave you with one statement that I did use um, at the end of another message, I know, and I, I got the feedback. It was a great encouragement to a lot of people. And that's the trouble with some things. You kind of use it once and then half the congregation aren't here. They don't hear it. And if you didn't hear it on the radio, then you didn't hear it. Here it is. When you can't trace the hand of God, trust the heart of God. When you're living in the shadow of question number two and things aren't happening, don't be tempted to think this is God sort of meeting out some kind of punishment for you for past sins or he's... He's teaching you a bit of a lesson, kind of smacking you around the head a little bit. His, his, his desire is that, we, is that we grow, is that we're blessed, is that we get through each day in the knowledge that he will never leave us or forsake us. He's not a vindictive, nasty God like we might be tempted to be in light of our waywardness. If you can't, trust the, if you can't trace the hand of God, trust the heart of God. Friends, I would put it to us, that got Sarah through 90 years of life. 90 years. And you can't draw the conclusion, oh, well, if you just sort of you know, hang in long enough, then everything will be answered and you'll get the... I mean, that, that, that's, that's not how it works either. For her, it was a blessing for a particular reason. But we can't draw that conclusion. Sometimes the Christian life is just, it's just a tough life of hanging in, in the belief that nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the belief that he will never leave us or forsake us. Is that enough to keep you going? Most days it's enough to keep me going. And that's the faith we share and celebrate. Work between those two extremes. May God give us the, the courage to walk between those two extremes this week. Learn from Sarah. Reread her story. Don't be afraid of the snigger. But don't let the snigger destroy your faith as it has with so many. Stay strong in the belief that God walks with us through the good times and the not-so-good times.